to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Last time I preached on a Wednesday night, I talked about how I wanted to go through a series and pastor asked me to preach called The Lines of the Bible. So I was led to this passage. I was praying and asking God, what do you want me to preach on? He goes, well, in my mind, God's like, well, you started preaching about lines in the Bible, but I want you to speak about something specific, not the lion event that happened in this great man of God's life, but what happened after it. All of us in our lives, we go through many things that we don't understand why it would happen. Where, why did it happen here? Why did it happen this way? And who we're about to speak about tonight, the mighty man Elijah. He has li- his life was defined by ups and downs, but yet God still used this man in mighty ways to the point where he was wishing that God would kill him on the spot. But yet God used his life to do something beyond anybody else. And tonight I'd like to speak about him. We're going to start off, I'm going to summarize chapter 18 in a few minutes, which is going to be a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> but what we're going to spend most of our time in tonight is chapter 19. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens in 19 that I want to talk about. And also, I'm going to do something I've never done before. And if it doesn't work tonight, I'm probably never going to do it again. So you guys better be ready because I don't know if I've ever seen anybody do what I'm wanting to do tonight. So So this is kind of a thing from my generation, what I want to open up with. How many of you guys are familiar with the name Mr. Beast? That's what I thought most of the teenagers' hands went up. And Kenny's. <laughs> Mr. Beast is a very popular YouTuber who's known for doing all these crazy challenges where one of his challenges that he did, if they won, they gave him a chocolate factory. But yet then he sold the chocolate factory back to Mr. Beast for like $50 million or something like that because he told him how much it was going to cost to maintain it. But there was a small clip that recently came out that Mr. Beast did that I thought was interesting. He pulled, it was one of his guys that he works with pulled his phone out, and they're in a booth. They're at a rally or something. He goes, you guys want to see something crazy? We've discovered that if somebody's super popular, that you can get a crowd to chant anything. So he goes, he's talking with all his whole crew. So going, what, what should we do? We should do something stupid just to see. So the guy opens this little window. The window is about this big. Mr. Beast put his head out the window and started going, toast, 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 toast. Had hundreds of people chanting toast for absolutely no reason whatsoever. <laughs> And they got back in, they closed the porthole to the stage, and they were just laughing their fool heads off saying, isn't it great how you can turn a mob? That you can make them do one thing, and they don't even realize what they're doing. They just see something popular, popular, and they're thinking, wow, this is so cool, I want to be involved in it, this is the most popular thing, this guy, if we do it, he might give us some money, you never know what's happening. We call those kinds of people blind followers. You look throughout history, many of the great dictators, I use great in loose terms here, 
We think about Hitler. We think about Stalin. We think about these men. They had blind followers because they were deceived into thinking they were doing something great, something amazing, that they were going to change the world. But within those crowds, there's always a small handful or even one person who will not participate in what's, to, what's taking place. They won't stand up. They won't stand there and chant toast because they think, I'm not going to make a fool of myself. Why are we even chanting toast? That's not even what we're talking about here. You have people that stood up against Hitler and fought for, against their own country because they realized the ideologies were not right. Same thing with Russia. We focus in on the man, Elijah. Put yourself into the situation. You're going around, you're preaching the word of God, you're under one of the reigns of probably the second most wicked king in Israel's history. And married to basically a witch, Jezebel, who has participated in every form of paganism, idolatry, you could ever imagine. You can't find anybody in your own country who still worships the God that you've seen do amazing things. That that God told you it's not going to rain. And it hasn't rained since he told you. People are crowding, worshiping the idol Baal, the God of thunder who is defined by the most immoral acts of worship imaginable, child sacrifice, and just things that, honestly, no human being should ever participate in. Because it's degrading and it's disgusting. We find Elijah, with the supernatural power of God, chases down Ahab in his chariot. He puts Hussein Bolt to shame with how fast he ran. He stopped the chariot and challenged Ahab and said, let's find out who the real God is here. You think Baal is going to listen to you, or do you think my God, Jehovah, the one and only God, will listen to me? So Elijah goes out to Mount Carmel, and if you look throughout the Bible, I don't know how many people have ever done it, but if you study the mountains throughout the Bible, Mount Carmel is a mountain defined by challenge. There are a lot of challenges that happens on Mount Carmel, and this is probably the most prevalent challenge that's ever happened on that mountain. Every priest of Baal was present that day. And they're all thinking, we're going to win, because we have, there's one man, we have one, he's his God has one man standing here. Nobody else is with him. But we have every prophet of Baal. We have the king of Israel and whatever adjective you want to describe Jezebel. There's a lot of them. We're going to win. So Elijah, I don't know if, out of, it's a, if it was out of sportsmanship, if it was out of spite, or just the chance to make fun of the Baal worshipers. <laughs> says, you go first. I'll sit back and watch. So here's all these Baal worshipers. They get their altar prepared. They do that. 
Oh, Baal, hear us! Oh, Baal, hear us! Hours upon hours, to the point these men are grabbing knives, rocks, and everything you can imagine, cutting themselves. They said the blood was gushing everywhere, trying to get a hold of Baal's attention. And Elijah's sitting back, and he starts having some fun. Maybe you should yell a little louder. He might be sleeping. You need to wake him up. You guys aren't being loud enough. Maybe, maybe he's on a journey. He's just not paying any attention to you guys. He's just out somewhere out in whatever heaven, ether, whatever you want to call it, that Baal lived in. And he just starts poking fun, and these guys get even worse and worse and worse and more degrading and humiliating themselves in front of probably thousands of people trying to get a hold of Baal's attention. Elijah finally gets tired of it and stands and goes, stop, stop. It's my turn. But I'm going to do something a little bit different. I want you to pour, I want you to dig a trench around my altar. He builds his altar, gets 12 stones that represents the 12 tribes of Israel, builds the altar, says dig the trench, now start dumping water on it. Now, could you imagine, here's all these guys that are cut, bruised, and battered, probably sitting back with little to no blood in them, probably now laughing him to scorn, saying, ha, <laughs> if our God can hear us, you know what, your God's not going to hear you, and you're being so stupid that you're drenching your sacrifice in water. Water was a precious commodity. At this point, if I remember correct, it was about six years since it rained. And he drenches the altar to the point where those trenches around it were completely filled with water. And he bows down and he prays this. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. It doesn't sound like a lot. While these guys are out there screaming, O Baal, hear us, who knows what they're saying, cutting themselves, but yet one simple prayer, O God, hear me. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. If you look at it, they're using God's personal name. All capitals, that's God's personal name. They're saying, Jehovah is Elohim. Jehovah is the God. Jehovah is the God. So, everybody who is there starts worshiping God. And then he says, gather the prophets of Baal together. This day, we're cleansing Israel. They start coming up. They kill every prophet of Baal that was present. There, was the, there wasn't a prophet of Baal left. He slaughtered 
every single one of them. And then he's trying to catch up with Ahab again. Let's, get, let's start off in verse 46 of 18. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So he started running again. All of a sudden, he gets his supernatural speed again. He outruns Ahab. And Ahab has his crybaby moment. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, Let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as a life of one of them by tomorrow. About this time. And when he saw it, he arose and went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey. A day's journey is about 20 miles. He ran 20 miles nonstop. Into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a juniper tree where he had requested himself that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. What happened? He just saw one of the greatest supernatural events that has happened in years. God was silent. He was only talking to Elijah. The only acts of God at this time was being seen was through Elijah. He just saw a fireball fall from the sky, completely destroy an altar. You know, you know how hot it is to melt a rock and be nothing left? It said it consumed down to the very dust that was present. There was nothing left. But yet... After slaying all the prophets, he had the entire mob of people there following him because he saw, these people saw the mighty act of God. So it wasn't like he was alone now. And yet one death threat sent him on a journey running, in a sense, from God. I believe that Elijah, at this point in his life, went to a deep, deep bout of depression. He saw absolutely no hope. Even though he just witnessed the greatest event in the history in his lifetime with God, yet he got so scared he ran 20 miles straight nonstop, went under a juniper tree, laid his head down, and just started crying and said, God, just let me die. Just kill me. There's nothing left for me here. All of Israel's against me now. The king's against me. His wife's against me. Apparently, there's no prophets of Baal anymore, so he won't have to worry about them, but he thinks probably even the dead bodies that he just witnessed the slaughter of are all against him now. But yet, as we continue on reading through this story, God was still with him. Even though he thought God abandoned him, 
God was preparing him for something that wasn't necessarily for him. Tonight, what I want to talk about is no matter who, what, when, where, or how, God is still always there. We just went over the lion event. Let's talk about Elijah's self-exile. He went on the run. He's out in the middle of the wilderness. Nobody even knows where he is at this point, but God still knows. Let's start off in verse 5 of 19. And as he laid, lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. When you're going through something that's bad in your life, sometimes the best thing that you can do is just rest. Elijah secluded himself from every problem in the world. Sometimes God drives you to a point that you need to realize you need to be with me. We don't see angels come and giving divine food somehow, <laughs> but yet God still wants us to do something great for him. And sometimes the events in our life aren't necessarily something that's going to make you think God hates me, the world hates me, the devil hates me, the devil does hate you. But God still loves you beyond anything you can imagine. If God hated him and God wanted him de dead, why did he give him food? And it's just not this one time. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink. And he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. If you guys take notes in your Bible, please, underline Horeb. Mount Horeb is one of the most important mountains in the Bible. This is another name for Mount Sinai. This is where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. And if you study the mountains in the Bible, Mount Sinai is a place where God always met with his men to get them right. God called Moses into the mountain. Take off thy shoes from whence they stand is holy ground. He went back up. He got the Ten Commandments from that same mountain. You see this mountain throughout the Bible. If you look at the book of Daniel, all Daniel could talk about was this mountain. Oh, if my eyes could see God's holy mount. This mountain was very important in the lives of Israel because this was a defining place where God always did something great. And here, I think this is even greater than the burning bush and the giving of the Ten Commandments, what God did to Elijah to get him thinking. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, 
For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take. They seek my life to take it away. Let's talk about what God put him through to encourage him. Elijah's driven to the point that he thought he was the only man left. He was the only one that's ever gone through this. If you read throughout the prophets in the Bible, there were many prophets who went through Elijah's situation. But we go through our lives and we often think, man, I'm the only one that's going through this. I'm the only one suffering with this. There's nobody else that understands. But you know what? There's a God that understands. There's a God that's still there that loves you, and he's putting you through this situation. We're going to see why God put him through this situation, because this is a big buildup. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. He's in this cave on the mountain, And God tells him, go and stand on the mount before the Lord. He's, who else has stood before the Lord before this point? He was beckoned into the very presence of the king of kings. (laughs) And it says, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great wind rent the mountains and break in pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after it, a still, small voice. This is the thing I told you guys about that I'm going to do differently tonight. Guys upstairs, if you'd be so kind for me to, I figured this would happen, if you would unlock my computer right there, the passcode sitting there on a sticky note, I figured this would happen. (laughs) There you go, thank you. Where'd it go? Is it up and running? Is Spotify turned on? Okay, did you unmute number 14, auxiliary up there? It's slowly connecting. <laughs> While it's connecting, what I want to tell you, what I want to do with you guys, how many of you guys are familiar with the term mindscaping? Have you ever heard the term mindscaping? It's a technique that a lot of therapists use and a lot of different people use to stimulate the mind to put a scene into your mind. They play sounds, they describe a scene, and then you're in it. If you guys would, with me, close your eyes. Imagine with me, you're sitting at the mouth of a cave. You haven't quite gone outside yet. 
but yet you hear and you think, well, the Lord's going to pass by. If you guys would hit play up there for me, because my phone sock could connect. You hear the most tempestuous wind you have ever heard in your life. The mountain is being torn apart. Where you're standing, the ground is shaking. You're seeing things happen you've never seen before. The word rent that's in the Bible can be literally translated as being torn in half. The mountain has just been torn in half. And you go to the mouth of the cave, then it stops. And yet the Lord was not there. Surely, God's talked about as a mighty rushing wind. You see throughout the Bible how God's used wind to change things, how to transform things. But yet God was not in the wind. And then you start hearing this. The ground beneath your feet starts shaking like you've never felt it before. Rocks are shattering. Everything's falling all around you. You've never seen anything like it. You're thinking, surely the God of the ages has got to be here. It's got to... Wait. It stops. God was not in the earthquake. And very similar to the event that you just saw on Mount Carmel, a fire. But not just any fire, the entire mountain has just been lit up. Everything around you is on fire. You're thinking, okay, God just did this event, God just did this mighty thing, surely He's got to be in the fire. Because he just consumed the altar in fire. God has got to be here. And just as fast as the fire appeared, it was gone. It was gone. But then, out of the fire, you heard this. A still, small voice. When you look in this passage, you guys can open your eyes. When you look at this passage, he stood upon the mount before the Lord, and the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. Wouldn't you think you'd be terrified after seeing these three great events, the biggest fire you've ever seen, the worst earthquake you've ever experienced in your life? You just saw a mountain get split in half by a, a straight-lined wind. But yet, what terrified him was that voice. I believe what God's doing right now is displaying, I'm the God of the wind, I'm the God of the earth, I'm the God of fire, but my power is not displayed in what you think it's displayed. I am powerful, the I am. 
It's me. My voice, which you're hearing right now, is the voice that hung the stars. The voice that you hear is the voice that will eventually say, come up hither. A voice you will eventually hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't what he saw, but what in what he heard. And so faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Just as Elijah had to hear the very voice of God to be encouraged, we hold the vo- we hear all of us, Lord willing, have a copy of this. When we're dark, we're in depression, we're on the run thinking we're the only one, God still has his word in that still small voice in all 66 books of this Bible. He's still there for us just as he was with Elijah. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altar, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God always has a way of reassuring his servants. God reassured David when he was, you read the Psalms, God always had a way of reassuring David in every aspect of his life. That's what the Psalms are there for, to make you realize that God is still there. And what God said to him was the most important thing that Elijah could ever hear in his life because it made him realize, why am I here? What am I doing here? God said, go return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, a Hebrew name that I'm not going to take the time to try to pronounce, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. God had a backup plan for his backup plan through a backup plan so Elijah would not have to worry. 
when we walk through life, we can go with the reassurance. Just like God gave to Elijah, you know, if you think this isn't going to work out, guess what? This is going to happen. If that doesn't work out, this is going to happen. If that doesn't work out, this is going to happen. But guess what? I'm still God. You don't have to go through life worrying about what's going to happen because I've already planned it out perfectly. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took the yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elisha and ministered unto him. When you go through something in your life, oftentimes it's not because it's for you. We'll get to this passage in a second, but if you would, if you would turn with me, turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. Paul makes a statement that the things that were written afore, referring to the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, all that, was written for our learning. And we often look at the Bible, I've done it, why is that even in there? That's weird. This chapter does not even fit in what's going on right now. Think about in Genesis about Joseph. There's a chapter in there that you're reading along about the story of Joseph. And then boom, there's this awkward chapter about Judah committing a sin. And then it continues on with Joseph's life. And you barely ever see anything about what happened with Judah ever again. Why is that there? It's so random. It's for us to learn. Every event that happens in a Christian's life that happens in your life is for God's glory and for somebody else to learn. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love thy neighbor. Upon these two hinge the law and the prophets. Your life, when you become a Christian, even before you become a Christian, it's not your own. You have a, God has a plan for your life. And when you're walking with him, if you're walking a life that pleases God, just as you guys are looking at me right now, your eyes are looking at me. If I'm walking a life that's honoring to God, I'm walking a life that's going for God's glory and doing all that I can for God, in the end, God's using me to influence your life. You read of Charles Spurgeon his life influenced thousands of preachers. You read of D.L. Moody, influenced thousands of preachers. Gladys Albright, 
She influenced thousands of lady missionaries, thousands of missionaries to go out into the world and do something great. Because they recognize it's not my life. I don't have to do anything. But yet through their life, because they loved God and they loved others, if we go in with that mindset, we don't have to worry about anything that's going to go on in our lives. Because God already had a plan for this. And if something bad is happening, go in with the mindset that God's going to do something different. That God's going to do something in your life that's going to affect the person behind you. Because if Elisha didn't go through what he did on that mountain, both Mount Carmel and Mount Horeb, what we're about to read here would not have affected Elisha, would not have affected Elisha the way it would have been. Let's look at verse 8 in 2 Kings chapter 2. And Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and smote the water. And they were divided hither and thither, so that they, went, that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they had gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask me, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon thee. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be done unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted both them asunder and Elijah up by a whirlwind into heaven. Look at the similarities here. Chariots of fire, horses of fire. How did God affect Elijah? He saw the fire on God's mountain. He saw the fire before on the altar. A whirlwind took him up. There was a great wind in the fire, in the chariots that took him up into heaven with, with him. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his clothes and rent them in two. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when, he had smit, and when he had spitten the waters, they parted thither and thither. And Elisha went over. Elisha would not be the man that had enough faith in God to smote the waters just like Elijah did if Elijah didn't go through the mountain. And his faith grew that day to the point, it didn't say that Elijah 
when he went to the waters, said, where's the Lord God of Israel and smote the waters to part it? He had so much faith in God because he saw what God could do on the mountain. Later in that chapter, after the mountain, it started raining again because God said it would rain. Back to back, Elijah saw so many miracles of God in a month and a half span. He said he went on a 40-day journey. And if you look at it and you want to put a broad speck on it, it was a month and a half that all this took place in Elijah's life that brought him from, I, God, just kill me. I'm worthless, I'm a peon, I'm nothing. To Elijah, to Elisha asking him, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah's spirit came from God, putting him through the fire to get to a point so so Elisha could see what a real man of God could be made out of. When God puts us through trials, don't think about it as something bad. Because the God that can bring you from the from the high mountains to the low valleys is the same guy that can show you back up to those mountain peaks. Because the Christian life isn't always a flat line. It's not always an upward line. Because we're all sinners still. It's an up and down battle with ourselves and with our flesh. But yet, through the power of God, we can still see that God can encourage us through his still, small voice, which we all have in our hands right now, to get us out of that valley, to get up, to find that person who God wants you to affect a life about because of the stuff that you're going through will affect a whole new generation for God. Because after this, Elisha went out And he performed so many miracles. He did so many things that he went beyond what Elijah could have done because he wanted a double portion of a spirit of the man who was in the thick of what the world could throw at him but said, I have faith in God. God has shown me what he can do and I don't have to worry about it. Because the same God that can split the mountain in half, the same God that can tear the mountain apart, the same God who can start a consuming fire and destroy everything is the same God who beckons with a still, small voice and says, it's okay. Because I have a plan for your life. No matter who, what, when, where, or how, God is always there. Because God has a plan for your life, and it's just not your life. It's somebody else's life that can be affected. Because remember, it's just not God's eyes. You have children. You have brothers. You have sisters. You have wives. You have husbands. You have friends. You have family. You have the unsaved world looking at you at every moment of your life. But if you don't allow God's still small voice to beckon you to get out of the pit that you're in, how can you show the world a double portion of your spirit and the person who you're going to invest your life in? 
because God wants to do something great in our lives. And it doesn't matter who, what, when, where, how, or whatever you can imagine it is, God is still there. God still loves us. God still loves you. Because that's who he is. God is love. And he's ready to get you out. Just get to the point where you can sit back, close out the world, and just listen for God's call, which is found in this book, by getting into God's word. Hearing the still, small voice so you can get up and change the world for somebody so that somebody can change the world with you. Because everybody you affect in your life is an extension of your ministry. What are we going to do with God's word today? And how are we going to let it affect our life? And how are we going to listen to the still small voice so we can walk away from our Mount Horeb with the power of God more than we did when we walked?